You're listening to the ERLC Podcast. And we made a joke about Lindsay wearing a mask, and she's like, that's just my face. <laughs> <laughs> that was the best line of the whole podcast. Thank you very much. All right. Well, I hate I hate to like I hate to move us right well, into it. Well, then the Los but, Angeles what? Angels. What? Why are you trying to move this along? Because oh, because I've got to go, go get to on a flight. Oh, I forgot about his flight. Hello, and welcome back to this week's episode of the ERLC podcast, where every week we're talking about our work here at the ERLC and what's going on in the world. I'm Josh Wester, and with me in the studio today, as always, are my co-host Lindsay Nicolay. Heidi ho, neighbor. Wow, and Brent Leatherwood. Hello, friends. Good times. So, and later in the show today, we'll be joined by our colleague, Jason Thacker. Uh, We're celebrating with him as his book launched this week, and you'll be hearing more about that later in the show. But before we even jump into the week, guys, you know what today is. What is today? What is today? It's it's Friday. Friday fun day? Yes, it is Friday. You're right. But this is week eight. (gasps) This marks week eight of the podcast. Wow. And what does that mean? Okay, so... uh, Internally, we never talked about this on the actual podcast, but internally, we had kind of decided that the metric when we launched this, relaunched this podcast eight weeks ago, was we were going to kind of watch the uh, trends across the first eight weeks, see what kind of feedback that we received to see if we could keep keep this thing going. And um, what are the trends and what has the feedback been? Well, the good news is people are listening and for the most part, they like it. But have they written that they like it in iTunes? So, hey, thanks for that setup. So, uh, personal appeal from me to you. If you could do us a favor, I actually went into uh, the podcast store or podcast app on iTunes this week and saw we actually have, you know, anybody want to guess? One. Yeah, well, we have more than than one. I only saw one initially a couple weeks ago, and I just thought it was maybe you with a burner account. Okay, so Brent's actually taking us one step further. Like, he's saying, could you go in and actually leave a written review? Now, we don't have very many of those, so I'm just going to go ahead and ask you for that. You know, if you could go in and just, you know, leave a brief written review that would help us out a ton. And you can just leave us a rating, which takes literally the time it takes to to click the number of stars that you think this deserves. Uh, Bonus points to those who give us public affirmation. We do. That's right. Well, and and Brent and I need everyone who's listening to know how worried and amped up Josh was about actually making it to week eight. I'm sure that they can just only imagine how much, um, you know, just emotional excitement and energy. During those dark early days, That's we, right. it seemed very far off. Very far off. So here we go. So now, Lindsay, let's jump in and talk about the week. What's the URLC been talking about this week? Okay, so we have a lot going on this week. And first off, we have an article by Jeff Pickering, who is on our staff, and he's in the D.C. office. And his article is about the state of Louisiana. There's a senator in Louisiana who is seeking to protect the health of women as it relates to women who go into abortion clinics to receive abortions. So the court, the Supreme Court heard oral arguments in June Medical Services versus Russo. And this was on Wednesday. And this case deals with medical standards and patient health as the legislature in Louisiana found that abortion clinics in their state neglect both. Right. And, and so if you're if you're a, a person that's listening to this out there, you're like, well, how is this pro-life legislation? It doesn't seem like it's ending abortion. Josh, what would you tell that person? Yeah, so what this is about is trying to prioritize the – like actually caring for women, which is one thing, frankly, that the pro-life movement is criticized for a lot. These bills that have been passed in Louisiana and other states are all about making sure that when a woman goes into a facility uh, that performs abortions, that they are going to receive a standard of care uh, that is up to adequate state standards. And so uh, the reality is – and one of the reasons the, the pro-life movement admittedly has focused on this is because many uh, of these abortion clinics simply aren't. They're not facilities uh, that are 
frankly, safe for women to go into to have abortions. And so uh, this law and what it involves is having ma- making sure that the person who is performing the abortion procedure has, at the minimum, uh, admitting privileges to the local hospital so that if something does go wrong or if that person who has received or is supposed to receive an abortion for any reason should end up in the hospital, that that physician is able to continue to exercise care, which is a totally common practice in almost, you know, in, in many other uh, areas of medicine. Right. And so this is just one of the latest tools, legislative tools, that pro-life uh, supporters and pro-life organizations like ourselves are supportive of to push back against the abortion lobby, which, as we saw on the steps of the Supreme Court this week, this is kind of hitting home with those pro-choice activists. So, and the ERLC filed a friend of the court brief, and our colleague Chelsea Patterson Sobolik was interviewed by CBN. So we'll have that link in the show notes. Yeah, friend of the court brief. What's another word for that? An amicus, amicus. brief. That's right. That's right. So uh, so next up, we've got Rebecca McLaughlin on how can we engage in apologetics with gentleness and respect. This article was originally in our latest edition of Light Magazine, so you can check that out at erlc.com backslash light. It's a free download. She recently wrote a book. Uh, Confronting Christianity. Yeah, and it and it walks through. I've, I've seen several different people uh, comment on it and talk about what a, what a great book it was because it basically lays out like an, an apologetic defense of the faith that helps answer common objections to uh, Christianity. And so it's a resource that we would point you toward and encourage you to check out. Uh, It's one that is on my short list of books that I mean to get to this year. Yeah. She answers 12 hard questions. So, and she gives an example of a Twitter dialogue in that article. So we would encourage you to check that out. Our ERLC staff has an explainer titled Federal Government Creates Ethics Advisory Board for Human Fetal Tissue Research. So this is uh, the ethics board will advise the health and human services secretary on whether proposed outside organizations research that uses human fetal tissue. So a fetus is another word for a baby, whether that use is ethical and whether it should be funded Mm. by the HHS. This has been a a busy week for us in the pro-life lane, no doubt. It's been a very busy week. It's something that is near and dear to our heart and something we are always engaged in. So that, it's it sounds confusing, lots of different words we're not used to using. So I would encourage you to check that out to gain an understanding. Uh, we That's also, why we put together these explainers, because they help take really complex and, you know, complicated issues and try mm-hmm. to distill them down to the most basic and understandable information. So that's you right. know, that explainers on our website. You can check it out. Yes, they're very valuable. Uh, we want to take a minute to celebrate our colleague, Jason Thacker. We've talked about him a few times on this podcast because his book just released on Tuesday, The Age of AI, Artificial Intelligence and the Future of Humanity. He's doing some work in this field that's the, at the cutting edge. He's at the front of the lines as far as how Christians should think about technology. Uh, so we do want to celebrate him and give him a big high five. Woohoo! Go, Jason, yeah. on our podcast. And we're actually going to talk to him in just a little bit. And then finally, we have a question and answer on coronavirus uh, with our friend Scott James. He's an infectious disease specialist, pediatric infectious disease specialist out of Alabama. So he answers some of the questions uh, that we have about coronavirus, how we can be prepared. He basically says, um, you know, for Christians, it comes down to preparedness and perspective. He also gives a little uh, bit of information there on how to talk to your kids that I thought was very helpful, very simple, but very helpful. Uh, So that and a bunch of other things that we've got online is what's happening on ERLC.com this week. 
Thanks, Lindsay. So we're going to stick with the theme of coronavirus as we move into our culture section for the week. So Brent, why don't you tell us what you've been paying attention to there? Yeah, so it, it seems like for nearly all of our, yes. our eight-week run here that coronavirus has been a topic of conversation in our culture section. Yes, thus far, uh, it's just evident that uh, coronavirus is uh, coextensive with our the existence of the relaunched DRLC podcast. Uh, we're going to hope that it's not also coterminous with the, uh, <laughs> yeah. the DRLC podcast. Maybe that was just our purpose, to help inform our listeners about well, coronavirus. Yeah, hopefully we will solve coronavirus during the life of, really of, nice. of this podcast. So, all right, a few things uh, to touch on around the SBC and around culture broadly. So our International Mission Board formed a coronavirus task force. Obviously, we've got missionaries uh, who are on the field throughout the world. Thousands of missionaries all over the world. That's right. And so uh, we need to know how to help folks that are in those situations and uh, so be, be praying for IMB to, to have wisdom and this task force uh, to be able to come up with the answers that they need. Elsewhere, California and Florida, both of those states declared a state of emergency because of the coronavirus. And earlier this week, uh, the United States Surgeon General told people, quit buying masks. Why is that? That sounds like something that's so counterintuitive. But the truth is that, uh, and this is important for people to know, so the masks will not prevent you from contracting uh, coronavirus, which is why you don't need to buy them as preventative measures. They can help you contain the virus if you already have it. It will keep you from spreading the virus. So uh, if you don't have coronavirus and you're thinking through what to stockpile, you you don't need the masks. Mm. Lindsay, why are you wearing a mask? That's just my normal face, Brent. Thanks a lot. (laughs) Did you guys see, by the way, any of the cruise pictures online? Because, you know, obviously this is unfortunate. It's affected people on cruise ships. But there are memes going around of people who basically have like this, you know, either sunburn or a tan line that is like the mask cut out because they've been on the the cruise ship, which is a total joke, by the way. Well, and like you said, it's touching all different parts of of culture. So South by Southwest, uh, a major uh, conference and event that's coming up in Austin, Texas. Uh, a number of big names, Facebook, Google, are, are pulling folks out because they don't want to uh, be a part of those gatherings right now and send workers there. Uh, the new James Bond uh, film, it was supposed to premiere in just a few weeks. It's actually been now pushed back to November. Because it was going to premiere where? Because it was supposed to be premiered on March 31st in London and the United Kingdom's government is now trying to dissuade big, large public gatherings. Uh, and so they've pushed it back to November. Uh, so that's just the newest uh, bit of information there. And then uh, we just learned this week yes. that Tennessee, uh, right here at home, got its first uh, yes. confirmed case of well, coronavirus, joining 17 other states. So there's now 18 states across the country with a confirmed coronavirus case. Yeah, and that, yes. that I, case in um, in Tennessee was in Williamson County, which is where Lindsay and I live, and it's the neighboring county to uh, to where Brent lives. So it's something that we're obviously paying a lot of attention to. Keeping our eyes on. Mm-hmm. But the, the governor, he seems to be on top of it. He had formed a task force uh, this very week, actually. And so he was remarking at the press conference that he feels Tennessee is one of the most prepared states for this. Internationally, so moving on from uh, the coronavirus uh, to other points within culture. So the United States government has actually reached an agreement with the Taliban uh, over in Afghanistan, a a peace agreement. So here's what it says from the NPR article that we are citing in our show notes. The U.S. and Taliban have struck a deal that paves the way for eventual peace in Afghanistan. The two sides have spent months hashing out the details of this deal, and under the terms, the U.S. commits to withdrawing all of its military forces and supporting civilian personnel, as well as those of its allies, 
within the next 14 months. This, as somebody who grew up in, and was in college in the immediate aftermath of uh, 9-11, it just kind of blows my mind that, that we're uh, at this point. Yeah, I mean, Afghanistan, the war in Afghanistan is America's longest war, and it has lasted uh, or persisted almost two decades. And so, you know, as we were talking about this earlier, you think about the fact that it was something that was totally unforeseeable, that none of us thought that this, that the war in Afghanistan could possibly, you know, drag on this long. But now that we are looking back across the last nearly two decades uh, to to see all that has happened, it is just, it's remarkable. I know a lot of people are, are frankly going to be relieved to just see us be at a place uh, as a nation where we are bringing that conflict uh, to an end. Right. And one nuance I think we should speak to is there's going to be a number of folks out there as this gets finalized and, and troops actually do come home, which, you know, we're, we're thankful when our troops do get to come home, is there are folks saying, oh, we, we've lost the war in Afghanistan. I, I don't know that that's fair to our fighting men and women that are a part of the United States military, because they, they did in nearly record time, I, I think, what they were asked to do in the immediate aftermath of 9-11 and the response uh, to what happened. Um, that's exactly right. I mean, it's been such a long time that many of us probably don't even remember, but you know, at the time uh, when 9-11 happened, the Taliban had taken over, uh, the recognized official government of Afghanistan. And because of the, uh, work of U.S. forces in that country, the Taliban as the ruling uh, regime was totally displaced. And like you mentioned, it, it happened incredibly quickly. So the war that has persisted, uh, that the country has is, is been fundamentally, it's, it's experienced a fundamental change uh, back to an official recognized government. So this deal with the Taliban is not, an, it, it shouldn't, it would be wrong to interpret it as some kind of surrender or retreat. Right. right. And then elsewhere in the international front, this cropped up within the, the last week. So since the last time we recorded the show, and, and now that we're recording it this week, Colombia's highest court, uh, the country of Colombia, the, the highest court there was considering a case before them that many folks thought would have opened up uh, Colombia to being the first Latin America country to legalize abortion. Uh, and thankfully, big pro-life win. They they decided not to do that. And from this article that we have in the show notes, it dashed the hopes of activists pushing for a decision that could have made it the first and most populous state in Latin America to have a pro-choice regime there. It's good news that the court struck that down. Big right. win for all of those unborn children. That's Absolutely. right. Uh, okay, so domestically, uh, this week, all the, the talk around here in Tennessee was the fact that we did have a tornado outbreak uh, in the middle of the week. And thankfully, we are so thankful for the disaster response teams, particularly uh, within our state conventions throughout the SBC, that immediately lent a helping hand uh, here in Middle Tennessee, where most of the damage occurred. Uh, disaster relief teams, not just from the Tennessee Baptist Mission Board, from, but from North Carolina, Alabama, and New Jersey, were among some of those offering help uh, to Tennesseans that had been affected by the storms. Yeah, these stories are heartbreaking. They're so heartbreaking, uh, especially out of Putnam County. But Josh, you were sharing earlier how one of our colleagues, you're reminding us how one of our colleagues, her husband's a pastor, and he right away uh, after the tornadoes got a call from the Tennessee Baptist Mission Board uh, offering help, whatever help that they could offer and they could give. Um, and I know, Brent, you went and you helped with one of your church's campuses. So yeah, I attend Brentwood Baptist here in Middle Tennessee, and one of our campuses is located in the heart of East Nashville, which is one of the areas most affected by the tornado. And I was out there uh, the morning right after uh, the tornado touched down, and there's no other way to describe it. I know a lot of folks kind of use it, and it seems cliche, but it looked like a true war zone. 
And so there's a lot of building, a rebuilding that has to go on uh, throughout Middle Tennessee. And we shouldn't forget folks on the north side of Nashville or folks over in Putnam County uh, where the, the vast majority of deaths from the storm occurred. It, it, was, um, it was a sobering moment for sure. Yeah, I mean, you know, it's kind of a because in the age of social media, watching these natural disasters take place and, and all of the the wreckage that they leave behind, it's just kind of a it's a part of the fabric of American life now. It's a thing that we do. But you know, for all of us living here uh, in the Nashville area, and then having this happen so close to us, I, it really has been devastating. It has been difficult. The stories that we're hearing, people that we know that were personally affected, uh, and being able to see the damage with our own eyes, uh, even as we are as we're just living our lives here, but. I've also been so heartened by the incredible response from all the people who have uh, already taken time to volunteer, offers uh, to help, and we know that uh, Nashville, Middle Tennessee, uh, there's going to be a huge effort uh, to rebuild and to recover from these devastating storms. A few things that we are really thankful for is the cooperative program, uh, the a program that funds SBC entities because of the sacrificial giving of our Southern Baptist churches. It remains slightly ahead of last year's giving, so so thank you, fellow Southern Baptists, uh, for what you allow us to do through your giving, whether it's putting missionaries on the field or allowing us at the RLC to p- speak in the public square. Uh, we are really thankful uh, that uh, the giving of this year is outpacing last year. Uh, similarly, Bryant Wright was named the new president of Send Relief. So if you remember a couple weeks ago, uh, this announcement was made during the executive committee trustee meetings. Uh, So the IMB and the North American Mission Board have come together under the umbrella of Send Relief and make sure that these two entities can collaborate on national and international compassion ministries. Bryant Wright, former head of Johnson Ferry Baptist Church in Marietta, Georgia, where he was well-known throughout SBC Life, and he is the perfect person to be leading this sin relief effort. Fun fact, I interned at Johnson Ferry Baptist Church. Seriously? Wow. When I was living in Louisville, uh, obviously, for the summer, I moved down to Marietta, and Bryant Wright was the pastor at the time. I interned in the youth ministry. And then one historic thing, Guidestone, a sister entity of the ERLC, we are thankful for them electing their first ever Black woman as chair of their trustee board. So I'm hoping I'm saying this right. Renee Trewick was elected by the Guidestone trustees to serve in that very important role for their entity. So what, for listeners who might not know, and actually as a brush up for me, what is Guidestone? So Guidestone is, you know, it used to be called just the annuity board, but basically what they handle are, uh, they used to handle like solely like retirement for pastors and SBC ministry staff, but they've actually expanded all of that. So they handle not just the retirement accounts, but they also provide uh, medical uh, insurance for many people in Southern Baptist life, pastors, church staff, and even folks that work at the entities. Uh, Guidestone is where we turn to uh, to get our health insurance. So it's an incredibly important part of Southern Baptist life, and uh, we're obviously super grateful for Guidestone and the good work that they do. That's right. And trustee boards, they uh, oversee the work that is done at each of the entities. So this is a really important role uh, that she's been named to. Okay, over in the political lane, we had Super Tuesday occur since we last recorded this. We actually had— Man, was it. We we actually had South Carolina and Super Tuesday, the South Carolina primary and the Super Tuesday suite of primaries across the country. And man, it's just completely reshaped this entire race uh, for the Democratic nomination for president. It's crazy. You think about, we were talking about this just a week ago, and everything has changed uh, since the last time that we recorded this podcast. Mm. I mean, in terms of what we were expecting, uh, it has just been an unbelievable week. Y'all are political junkies. So is a Biden comeback something that y'all saw coming? 
or no? Honestly, based on historical precedents, I didn't. We did have a few members of the team, though, that that did think that once we got past South Carolina, that that could happen. So credit uh, to them. But uh, no, I, I honestly think that what we've seen is a bit unprecedented. It's certainly unprecedented. And I mean, it's just honestly, it's unbelievable. It's not just unprecedented. It's unbelievable because, uh, you know, Joe Biden comes into South Carolina. He went into the South Carolina debate and he was obviously fighting for his political life. I mean, he was, you know, somebody had uh, said, one of the political commentators I was listening to said that prior to that, they had sat with Joe Biden and it sounded like they were attending his political wake, that his career, his long and storied uh, career was just over. But then in South Carolina, he comes fighting back. He uh, not only does well in the debate, but then he overwhelmingly wins the South Carolina primary. And so then there's all this speculation of, is it still too little too late in terms of what it could happen on Super Tuesday where 14 states voted? And he won 10 of the 14, which is just catapulted him into the poll position. Uh, in the Democratic race. Yeah, I mean, so anyway, I'm still stunned by all that all that we have seen. And so Joe Biden goes from being, you know, fighting uh, for his political life to being the clear front runner uh, to win the Democratic nomination. And so uh, next week we have Big Tuesday, as some people have taken yeah, a call, where, where we'll That's see right. six states vote. Uh, but then the rest of this month is going to be really consequential in terms of the states that are voting and delegates coming in. And so for the folks keeping track at home, it now is effectively uh, a two-person race with former Vice President Joe Biden, and uh, U.S. Senator from Vermont, Bernie Sanders, vying for the nomination. With all due respect to Congresswoman Tulsi Gabbard, it's probably between uh, those two uh, leaders. And the rest of the field is, has been cleared out. I mean, we've seen this week uh, all of the other top contenders for the nomination have bowed out of the race. That's exactly right. Uh, beyond politics, the stock market has just been on a wild ride. At one point earlier this week, it had erased all of the gains that had been seen in the stock market uh, from 2020 and was eating into the gains in 2019. And then later in the week, it had a 1,200-point gain. Uh, so it's just a wild ride right, right now, and different analysts are pointing to different things, whether it is the actual race for president on the Democratic side affecting it or the response to coronavirus and the fact that it's essentially shutting down China. Uh, it's something that a lot of people are paying attention to. Okay, and then uh, finally, we've got this note uh, from what happened in, was was it Ohio? Well, so this was an Ohio account. It was a satirical Twitter account that posted about this Ed Sheeran impersonator. And we need you to know, listeners, that Brent did not know who Ed Sheeran was. So he's apparently been living under a rock. Uh, But this guy who— That's why he's our culture guy. Exactly. Who at least it's not classic country. It's not pop culture. Well, uh, it was saying that this guy was going into churches and he was playing, playing and doing music for thirty five dollars in a sandwich. And they asked the pastor, "Well, how? You know, why would you think that Ed Sheeran would play for that?" And he said, "Well, I just thought he fell on hard times." (laughs) (laughs) But people don't look at their sources, and so it just went viral that Thursday after it had been shared. It had forty thousand retweets or something. So people are hilarious. What I love are two things. A, this story is just hilarious. But B, my question wasn't necessarily meant for you to take over the entire culture section. I had to take over the pop culture section. You just, you just section. took it. You, you ran with it. You ran with it. I have to get my words in while I can because y'all like to talk a lot. <laughs> uh, so just are, to sum, sum all this up, it, there is not actually an Ed Sheeran impersonator like uh, right. playing shows in churches in Ohio somewhere. For $35, for $35 in a sandwich. In a sandwich. All right, so that's that's a that's a great way to end our culture section. So, 
Lindsay, Josh, that's your look at This Week in Culture. So today we're excited to talk to our friend and colleague, Jason Thacker, uh, who, as we mentioned, has released a new book this week. Uh, Jason, thanks so much for taking time to come on the podcast. And we want to ask you just as a first question, tell us a little bit about yourself and your role here at the URLC. Yeah, I serve as an associate research fellow and also the creative director at the URLC, which basically means I focus a lot of my research role in technology issues, kind of how technology is affecting the church and us in society. And then as creative director, I oversee all of our creative projects. So that can be web, graphic design, audio, video, just a host of different multimedia applications. So Jason, you have a lot going on in your life right now and a lot that listeners don't know about, but just behind the scenes, um, you've been writing a book and you've been caring for your family and you do the ERLC work and you serve um, at your church and with your family. So what's one thing, or could you even boil it down to one thing God is teaching you in this season of life and ministry? Yeah, as you alluded to, we uh, do have a lot of things going on with our family. We have a lot of health issues um, on my wife's side of the family, but also um, some listeners may know and others not that my wife was diagnosed with Hodgkin's lymphoma last November and has been going through chemo treatment. So right as the book launch and um, finishing kind of editing process was ramping up, she was diagnosed with Hodgkin's lymphoma, which just kind of changes your life. Uh, it really takes over the chemo treatments and caring for her. And then we also have two kids. Uh, one is one and the other's three. So our home is full of energy, lots of crazy children and a wife that uh, is just unable to do a lot of the things that she normally could do. But at the same time, we have a lot of exciting things going on. And I think that's kind of typical for most people. Uh, you have some exciting things, but also some hard things going on. And so it's while it's been a dark season, kind of the one thing I think the Lord has been teaching me is that he's sufficient uh, and that he is good. So even in the midst of the dark seasons, but also in the midst of the good seasons, it's just remembering his faithful presence. Uh, for me, it even in the dark season is just remembering he's there, but even in the good stuff that's going on is remembering that he's the one who ordained that and is sovereignly over those things and has given those gifts to us. And so just kind of having that balanced view and having our trust and peace in Christ uh, has been one thing that's really stood out to us in this season. Jason, as uh, you know, you've been talking with a number of folks out there who might be apprehensive about advances in the technological world, you've actually been interacting with a number of folks who on a daily basis are working in the tech field. And I'm, I'm just interested, as you've been interacting with those folks, what are the things that they are paying attention to in culture right now? Yeah. So especially in the tech space, uh, some of the most popular and kind of uh, well-known discussions that are going on kind of revolve around ethics, which is a lot of what we do at the URLC um, is applying the gospel to all of life. And part of that is the kind of the intersection between technology and society. And so folks that are Christians and non-Christians are really struggling with how do we create technology and use technology ethically and for human flourishing and for human good, because there's so many ways that the tools that seem so innocuous, so uh, simple and not really have a huge impact on our lives can be used for really demeaning ways. Uh, you think of like China and how China uses facial recognition to really oppress 
and control its people to retain its power, but then also to really push down and tamper down any kind of dissidents, especially in religious minorities like the Uyghurs uh, that are interned in uh, the Exchange region. And so for us, it's kind of like, how do we portray and how do we think through the best ways to use technology? And so that's a lot of what I focus my work in. And I've noticed that the human dignity centered approach that we take to the ERLC and all the issues, uh, saying that we're pro-life from the baby in the womb to the dying woman on her uh, her last days is saying all life has value, all life uh, has value and dignity and worth because they're created in God's image. And that's a really winsome message. It's a gift that the church can give to culture as we think through some of the tough issues from facial recognition to military use of artificial intelligence to even uh, content moderation and a lot of things that come uh, like fake news and misinformation is how do we combat these malicious and abusive uses of technology? And I think as a Christian, as we step into this space, we can really proclaim the hope not only of the gospel of Jesus Christ that saves us, but also the idea that each of us are created in the image of God. And so that human dignity approach is really helpful um, in combating a lot of these issues because it takes our eyes off of maybe some utilitarian type uses or uses that might produce some good, but a lot of bad but really come into it and say, no, all life has value and all life has dignity. And so we need to step into these and recognize the image of God and our fellow neighbors um, and image bearers. So Jason, in your new book that just came out, which we are very thrilled for you about, um, your book is about AI, artificial intelligence. So for some people that might conjure up ideas of the movie Minority Report or Will Smith and iRobot or whatever it might be, so can you explain to listeners, just give an overview of what your book is about and really how AI meets us in our day-to-day life? Yeah, and you hit it exactly right. Often when we hear about artificial intelligence or AI, we think of these sci-fi movies and novels and a lot of those type of TV shows uh, that really influence how we think about the future of technology, but also the current uses of technology. And I think one of the things that I, I do in the book and one of the things that I'm trying to do is kind of demystify a lot of artificial intelligence and say, hey, you're already using this technology. And a lot of listeners might say, well, I'm not really using it. It's not something that's really in my daily life. But if you interact on social media or search engines, you're using these algorithms that are curating the content or the news or the information that you receive. I mean, even within a foot of me right now is my cell phone that's equipped with so many smart features. That's just another way to say that it's empowered by artificial intelligence, a smart thermostat or a smart phone or a smart watch. So we're using these technologies every day and often not seeing how they're impacting us, not only in how we view ourselves, but also how we interact in our families and our jobs. And so as we see these headlines after headlines coming of uh, predictions of massive job loss or automation or the impact of self-driving cars or even thinking through issues of facial recognition or military use of these technologies, the stakes are high. And I think as Christians, we need to realize that there's nothing short of human dignity at stake in a lot of these conversations. And that's because some of the worldviews that are driving artificial intelligence of those that are creating it, not all, but some come from a very materialistic worldview, which basically means uh, that 
everything in our life is reducible down to matter. It's reducible down to the atoms. There's nothing spiritual. It's all physical. And what that means is a very hopeless future. Their idea, there isn't a God. There's nothing really unique about us as human beings. And so we one day might even create these kind of robots that take over the world, uh, but much less we're creating these technologies that can be used to demean uh, fellow image bearers. And as Christians, we come and say, no, that's not the way we are thinking about who God is, who we are, and also how to best use technology. So that's what I really try to do in the book is showing how we're already using artificial intelligence in the many ways that it can be used for really good things. I'm very hopeful about the future of artificial intelligence, but we have to be. So yeah, you, Lindsay, Lindsay mentioned a couple movies. You know, when I think of AI, I think of Terminator. Uh, but let's actually just pick up right where you were. What is it? Let's flip the script. What What is it that you're actually most hopeful about when it comes to AI? Yeah, I really believe that artificial intelligence can be embraced not only by the church, but also the wider culture to recognize the dignity and value of every human being. Often, uh, these tools can be misused and abused, but there's so many good applications through medicine, through work, um, all automation is not bad. Uh, there will be jobs lost, and the church needs to step in and care for those who do lose their jobs and uh, help them prepare for what's next. But the kind of interesting part is that as we move into this future, these tools are, are able to aid us and help us to do our work better and cleaner and easier um, and have that kind of convenience and that free time to be able to do other things. And so there's a, a lot of really good uh, God-honoring applications. And so the filter that I employ throughout the book is in Matthew 22 when Jesus says that you can um, sum up the law into loving God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and to love your neighbors yourself and recognizing the dignity, value, and worth of every human being. So that's really what I focus on in the book. Man, that's so good. And look, we are just absolutely pumped uh, for the book to be released and out there in the world. Uh, I love what you said about how you're trying to demystify technology uh, for folks and some of the complexities that are wrapped up in AI, because it just seems like a thing that, that is incomprehensible. And so the book is really a helpful way for Christians to, to understand something that's going to be fundamental uh, to the future of humanity. And so really appreciate you putting all of the effort into writing it. We hope that uh, listeners will take advantage of the opportunity to go out there and purchase it. And do we just want to say thank you so so much uh, for taking the time to talk to us today. Yeah, thank you guys for having me. This episode of the ERLC podcast is sponsored by The Good Book Company, publisher of Why Does God Care Who I Sleep With by Sam Alberry, the latest from the best-selling Oxford Apologetics series. Christians are increasingly seen as outdated, restrictive, and judgmental when it comes to sex before marriage, cohabitation, and homosexuality. Sam Alberry sets out God's good design for the expression of human sexuality. This book is ideal for giving away to people who see this as one of the biggest barriers for considering Christianity. Find out more about Why Does God Care Who I Sleep With at thegoodbook.com. So now it's time for the lunchroom, where every week we share with you the things we've been talking about with one another. For us at the RLC, normally as we share in these conversations, we sit down uh, in the lunchroom as we share meals together and we share what's on our mind. So Brent, what's on your mind this week? Yeah, so even though I may not be necessarily a, a big Ed Sheeran fan, I am a big baseball fan. And so this week, the Angels, the Major League Baseball team, the, the Angels, the Los Angeles Angels of Anaheim, I think that's their proper name. How many times can you say Angels in one sentence, Brent? <laughs> 
You t- why don't you laugh? Would you just laugh? And <laughs> I don't just laugh let it out? People are okay with you laughing, Josh. Okay. <clears throat> the Los Angeles Angels of Anaheim, the Major League Baseball team in California, they tweeted out a video of all-star perennial MVP candidate Mike Trout at Top Golf, which is a place you go, essentially it's a driving range, but it's kind of gamified. And they took this video of him absolutely pulverizing this golf ball. I mean, it just went off into the distance. And if you just like random feats of strength and talent, that's all this is. It was amazing. We'll link to it in the show notes. Oh, it's a really short video, but it is definitely worth it. In fact, I can't tell you how many times I've seen it because it really is amazing. And as a guy who's been at Top Golf, you know, a number of times and has had not nearly that kind of success hitting <laughs> hitting a golf ball, uh, it is really something to well, see. Well, he what's remarkable? He hit it out of the actual. Uh, park. Right. Uh, I mean, so there's these giant nets that are all around it. He hit it over those and well beyond them. And even his fellow baseball players who were there with him were pretty amazed. Oh, it was just amazing. Lindsay, what's on your mind this week? Okay. So on my mind this week is a personal note. My daughter turned one, which feels like such a milestone well, for a new parent. Marian. Happy birthday to Marion. And uh, so we gave her sweets for the first time basically a cupcake she had and she just loved that and so that was just a a reminder of God's grace and goodness and kindness to me cuz i waited for marriage and kids for a long time and then this is going to sound really weird but i just went to the dentist this morning and um my dental hygienist i like to drink coffee and so i have some coffee stains on my teeth even though i use crest white strips which i think y'all have coffee stains too hold on a second you got to tell us your thing is about toothpaste yes it's about to- well, you didn't know that how did you know that your lunchroom you segment toothpaste. is essentially too it's, much information it's about toothpaste <laughs> <laughs> this is a great recommendation that is worth more than the los angeles angels outfielder hitting top golf balls but Apparently, Arm & Hammer Advanced White Toothpaste will take coffee stains off of your teeth. So everyone should go out and buy it if you're coffee drinkers. Arm & Hammer, will like, thank the, me. like the baking soda? Yes, because you need baking soda and peroxide to get those stains off of your teeth. All right. Crest White Strips won't do it for well, you. Well, hey, folks, you heard it here. So, um, yeah, for my thing this week, uh, I just want to share with you. So I just finished last night listening to the audiobook of The Boys in the Boat. And so I'm late to the party on this one. You're this book has been out party. for several years. Uh, and it's about an event that happened even longer ago than that. But it's actually about the uh, 1936 Olympic rowing team where the Olympics happened in Germany right ahead of, uh, just ahead of the outbreak of World War II. And I listened to the audiobook over several weeks. And it was just incredible. Um, you know, I've listened to several different audiobooks. And and between the narrator, who is Edward Herman, who is just absolutely perfect to do this, it was just one of those things that, from start to finish, it was just such an epic ride. It was so much fun. And so I just um, I want to encourage you, if you haven't listened to The Boys in the Boat, if you haven't read it, uh, you should check out, the, check out the audiobook. If you're an Audible subscriber, you can get it for a credit. And uh, it is definitely worth your time. It quickly becomes the favorite book of those who who I recommend it to. It is so good. Yeah, it's it's definitely the best audiobook that I have uh, ever listened to. So each week before we uh, end the episode, we want to leave you off with a helpful resource from the ERLC. So Lindsay, what's our ERLC resource this week? So in light of Jason's book releasing on artificial intelligence and in light of all of the news, the pro-life news and advocacy that we are talking about this week, we have from our Evangelicals for Life conference, a talk by Dr. Moore, 
called A Human Voice, The Mystery of Life in an Age of Machines. So we're going to get to that clip in just a second, but we just want to say thanks so much for listening every single week. Uh, We appreciate you uh, checking out the podcast and helping spread the word about it. We are really excited to have made it past week eight and to be able to continue on into the future. So just one more time as a reminder, if you could help us out by going into your podcast app and leaving us a rating or a brief review, uh, that would just help more people discover the podcast. And uh, we'll be you know, obviously paying attention to see uh, if we can get those reviews and ratings in. So we really appreciate you helping us out. And for Brent and Lindsay and myself, we'll be back next week with more content. And of human beings treated as machines in which everyone is longing for connectedness. We're the people who know connectedness can be good, but connectedness is not enough. We need communion. And in an era of machine where everyone's longing for effectiveness, effectiveness is fine, but effectiveness is not enough. We need mission. And in an era of machines where everyone's longing for information, Information's okay, but we need more than information. We need a word, and not just an abstract word, but a word that has become flesh and dwelled among us, and we beheld his glory, glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. And in an age of machines, we have to be the people who are able to speak with confidence to those who are in power. There is a God, and he sees you. And with mercy to those who are weak and forgotten and nearly invisible, to say Jesus loves you. And he gives all of that to us in a human voice. Jesus of Nazareth, someday. 